Hey, this is Pastor T.J. Earl at Knoxville Community Church. I'm so happy that you've decided to tune in with us as we are encouraged, convicted, and challenged by God's Word this morning. If you don't know anything about us, you can find more information at knoxvillecommunity.com or see us at Knoxville Community Facebook page and Instagram page. You can go there also if you'd like to partner with us financially to knoxvillecommunity.com. There's a button that says Give in the top right corner. We'd love to partner with you in any way we can. If you need prayer, you can shoot an email to prayer at knoxvillecommunity.com or shoot me an email at tjearl at knoxvillecommunity.com. We meet every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. at AMC Theater on Millertown Pike. We would love for you to come and be a guest of honor and pray with us as we serve this community and try to see all those that are lost in this world find their home in Jesus Christ. All right, so like I said earlier, we're starting today in the book of John. Uh, you see our series that are here. I am Jesus in his own words. This I am is important because we've heard that before, right? The I am that I am in the book of Exodus uh, and where God tells Moses to go forward and he says, well, who do I say that you are? And he says, tell them that I am sent you. So at any point in time, I don't want to rush through scripture, especially with the book of John. And as we start this today, it's like uh, the book of Acts. Uh, we will finish John when we finish John. We're going to go through it in the pace that we need to go through it. And we will uh, take verse by verse and we will take scripture and section by section to analyze and know, number one, what is scripture saying to all of us as the reader? And how do we apply it as Knoxville Community Church? When I meet a new believer or someone that asks me, where do I go in scripture? Someone that gets a Bible for the first time someone who's wondering what do I read first or where do I go? There are many different answers for this and people can give good arguments for many different, book, different books. But my choice is always the book of John. That's where I send people to. Uh, because of the purpose of the book of John, which is to give a foundation and evidence for the belief in Jesus Christ. The biggest issue with that, though, is that John so much... Because of his readers, he uses the Old Testament, and he uses it time and time again, even through uh, what we'll talk about, the seven signs in the book of John that are used. They point back to a fulfillment of the Old Testament. Remember that I talk about that often. The New Testament is the Old Testament fulfilled, right? Promises made, promises fulfilled. And so it is one story. It's not two different books. It's not... Old Testament, God took Prozac, and then New Testament. It is one solid story that is about the fulfillment of man's need for a Savior, and the subject of the story is the Savior, the star of the show, the Tom Cruise of all of it is Jesus Christ. Now, it would be hard for me to set that setting for a new believer and say, hey, I need you to read John, but first... I want you to go and read all of Deuteronomy and the book of Isaiah that's mentioned a lot. That would be a hard place for a new believer to start, uh, and I would not do that to them. We will get there at some point, but we wouldn't start there. But there are few uh, books that point to their purpose uh, explicitly, as well as the book of John does. But just like we did when we began the book of Acts a little over a year ago, I want to set the scene for what's happening And we'll dive into a few verses, but I want to set the scene for the book of John. In the book of John, the apostle John writes about seven signs. 
These are seven miraculous events. Now, let's be clear. Jesus did way more than just seven signs and seven miracles. We know that because of the recordings in other Gospels. Uh, And we also know that because John says it. John says it twice, as a matter of fact. But if you look in chapter 21 of this book, the very last verse says this in verse 25. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. Now, I often stop at this scripture, and it just gives me marvel because I think of all the incredible things that Jesus did. And think of the greatest of miracles from the feeding of 5,000 to walking on water to the moment where he would uh, be there and not be there, as scripture would say, that he was, uh, he was God, and he was proving that. And I would love to know some of the other things that weren't recorded. The other possible Lazarus, the other possible people that came back from dead to life, the other miraculous events, the other feedings, the other events that took place. If only the apostles maybe had TikTok at the time, we could have great recordings of what took place. But Jesus knows better and knows that it probably wouldn't have turned out well. We would have probably been able to put Judas out a lot sooner with TikTok than uh, when things happen. But John takes intricate delight in detail of these stories. And if there are all these stories, John is making a purpose by saying that there are more stories, but I chose these seven signs to show to you. I purposely hand-selected all the many things that I was an eyewitness for to show you. They're specifically chosen, and why were they chosen? Well, each sign, you'll see, it is a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. It is a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Now, I'm not going to go through those today because um, we're going to get to those when we get to those. But these seven signs were purposely used to say, this is what Scripture said, your forefathers your father Abraham, your father Isaac and Jacob. This is what they said. This is what your prophet said, the ones that you killed about the Messiah that would come. And here he is doing those very things. There was Adam and Jesus became the greater Adam. There was Moses. And what we will see through the majority of John is that Jesus was the greater Moses who would lead the new exile for the Jews Not the exile that they thought to get free from Rome, but the exile from death unto the big word in chapter 1, life. Life. So John makes this point over and over again that Jesus is the Messiah who has been spoken from the very beginning. There is no other book where the Pharisees are quite as angry as they get in this book. Because of the times of what John is specifically pointing to. The very things that they place their entire righteousness, their entire life upon. This is what John is pointing to. So when he makes these accusations and when they ask, who gives you the power to forgive sins? And Jesus comes up and says, it's easier to say, take up your mat and walk or to say your sins are forgiven. 
and the anger that comes upon them because the fulfillment and what they believe the blasphemy they're saying why why people often say why do they scream so much blasphemy because they're quoting and we miss this often because we don't know the old testament uh as well as we should one but also it gets lost in translation remember that like we're we're going from aramaic and we're going from uh hebrew and then a little greek mixed in as well and we get lost in and and it's easier to see uh, when you're looking at the original language, the exact quotes that they're using, sometimes they will even quote in Hebrew or Aramaic to have these things stick out that this was an exact quote. And the Pharisees would get so angry. So I've said it a few times, what is the purpose of John? He says it in chapter 20, in verse 30. First, he repeats what he already says at the end of the book. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not recorded in this book. But these signs are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So yay, hey, we don't have to do a lot of extensive study to say, hey, what is the purpose of John? John lays that out for us. I write these things that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life. The purpose of John or any gospel is not that you will get out of the boat of disbelief and into the boat and into the waters of faith in Jesus. The purpose of John is not that you are dying in your life circumstances and dying and Jesus is going to bring you out of the dead like Lazarus. The purpose of John is not that you are blind and, and that God is somehow going to come and wipe your blindness away so that you can have a better life. The purpose of John is not that you too can walk on water as Jesus did or any other example that preachers or evangelists use to change the purpose with improper hermeneutics of Scripture. It's none of that. We can find good biblical truths in some of that stuff, sure. But that's not the purpose. You can take that story from Luke even, where Peter steps out into the water. And people, so many times, they use this over and over again. You've got to step out of the boat. You've got to have faith. You've got to do this. And they're, they're not bad lessons. But what was the true purpose and, and what was Scripture trying to point us to in that story? It's later in that story. When they come back and they look at Jesus and they say, Surely this is the Son of God. That's the purpose. And that's the purpose of John. There's so many great applications and there's so many great things that we're going to take away from diving into this scripture. But I don't want you to ever lose sight through this entire series. Anytime that we're here in this room or you're at home or we're in small groups or we're studying the book of John, that you don't remember the purpose of John is that you would believe that he is who he says he is, the Son of God. And that if you do that, you will have life. So we use that word belief. We used it in the song earlier. Belief is not knowledge, right? Belief is followed by action. It has to be followed by action. The apostles, their lives were changed when belief took place. The Pharisees heard and knew what he was saying. They even knew the Old Testament scriptures better than probably even some of the disciples and those that followed him, but yet they did not believe. So there was no life. There was no light in their life. 
so their lives were not changed. So look in the very beginning of John, a verse that we know well. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Whenever we try to get to trouble uh, passages, I try to stop for a second. I think educated uh, believers are great believers. Uh, When we realize things, Jehovah's Witnesses love this verse uh, because of uh, Greek textual issue that uh, you know what an article is in English. It's uh, like the or a, right? And then there's different types of articles. Uh, Greek does not always use articles before the nouns, depending on how they are followed by the predicate or the verb. That's a lot of words, I know. But Jehovah's Witness will take this and say that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And they will throw in that that should be translated, and the Word was a God which is where they get their fact that Jesus was just a prophet, that he was not God, but he had become a God, just like all Jehovah's Witnesses believe that they can become a God. The problem with this one is that it is a complete manipulation of what uh, Greek text says. Um, And if you did that same principle, they would have to even refute what happens in the very beginning of verse 1, because there's not an article before beginning. So would we look at that and say, in a beginning? What was John talk, talking about? That Greek word, I believe, is, is archaeus. Uh, uh, we, we all know that that's stop talking about the beginning of time, in the beginning. And the word was God, not a God, he is God. And this portion of scripture is so important for us for many reasons. One, uh, we know that the Son of God is from the beginning that even in the verse scripture, the first verse in all of scripture in Genesis, in the beginning, or that's John 1.1, 1, 1, God created the heavens and the earth. And the word for God is a plural form that is believed to know that it is a community, that it is God, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. All three together. Always has been, always will be. John is stating this here. He is there always forever in and all through it all. He is starting this argument, right? Because when you're writing here, he's writing to readers, making a point, then you have an argument that you're writing. He's starting this argument for the authority and identity of Jesus Christ. So let's get this down pat before we go into the book of John. If the first verse of John is not true. Nothing else in the entire book, in all of Scripture, as a matter of fact, matters. I would be as bold to say that if, even if what Jehovah's Witnesses believe about this Scripture, that it is a God, is true, then nothing else in Scripture matters because no one has the power to do so. God would be refuting himself. So you're stamping this book with the argument that he is God, from the very beginning, not that the New Testament come came and God sat and said, you know what, I'm going to create 
Jesus so that this can take place. He was there from the beginning. Scripture tells us from the foundation of the earth before anything there was. In John 8, verse 58, we'll come to that point when he is speaking to the righteous people and the religious leaders. And he says, before Abraham was, what does he say? I am. And boy, were they mad at that. Because he uses the phrase that God used to Moses. But he's also saying, before this guy that you hold up so much and Abraham was, I was there. Now Jesus, right, is everlasting, which is different than eternal. Jesus was everlasting in the sense that Jesus was, was born as a man. The Son of God was before that, and the Son of God became flesh, and Jesus was born. I remember and miss the days of working at Neyland Stadium. I saw uh, for the bad years, the Dooley years, unfortunately, I wish I would have worked at a different tenure uh, in Tennessee's history. But for the Dooley years, I saw every touchdown. I fist bumped players after touchdown. I mean, I sat, stood right on the sideline. We gab grabbed Gatorade off the same tables. I got to shake hands and take pictures with Pat Summit, Al Wilson, Peyton Manning. Now, I was able to do those things would you say because my name was T.J. Earl? Of course not. I mean, what authority does that have at Neyland Stadium? It, no, I'll tell you, it's zero. And was it because of my parents? Was it because of my family? Any possessions that I had? Absolutely not. I was able to experience those things because of a lanyard around my neck that said I was able to do so. You don't just park where I got to park and then walk through the tunnel into UT without having that lanyard, at least and get very far. That lanyard was what placed the authority that put me in a spot to where I could be in those areas. Jesus Christ, uh, or the, uh, John the Apostle here, is starting the book with Jesus Christ, his lanyard, that he is God, always has been, always will be. He is the words of life. These are Jesus' credentials. Otherwise, he could not do anything, especially bring life everlasting. He's also looking, and it says, Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. He's looking and saying, Everything that you see, including yourself, came from him. This is God. And then look in verse 4. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not yet overcome it. Now there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light. So that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. So here we are. We've stated Jesus' credentials. Now we're stating John the Baptist's credentials. 
And it's important because how many times in Scripture do we see them asking, is this John the Baptist? Is this Jesus? There's confusion. There isn't, like I said earlier, the, the Twitter accounts or the TikTok accounts to verify who's who. People are confused, like this guy's baptizing, but now this guy's baptizing. Great things are happening here. Great things are happening here. They're preaching the same thing. Who's who? All that's happening. John's making very clear that this is who Jesus is. He is God. And John the Baptist is the witness. And this is one of the first points back to uh, Old Testament where uh, Isaiah talks about the one who will scream in the desert and shout, make way, the Lord is coming. And that witness was John the Baptist. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and through the world was made through him or though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to what that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Also prophesied in the Old Testament that he would come, that his own would reject him, and they would not receive him. But to all those who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, So to those who will do what I'm about to set out to do in my book, he gave them the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or husband's will, but born of God. And there's two other important Old Testament prophecies that are fulfilled here. One, that he would be life, the life that was given. Somebody tell me what's the opposite of life. Thank you. The opposite of life is death that comes for all of us. But yet through the Old Testament, it continued to point time and time again to the one that would bring life. And Jesus would speak often that I am the bread of life, that I am living water, that from Adam came Eve, which means what? Mother of all living life, that from God would come Jesus who would bring life the greater Adam. It says in Psalm 36, For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. And then to go to this light of the world that is given in Isaiah chapter 49, he says, It is too small of a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also make you a light unto the nations so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Sometimes I think we uh, underestimate the power of light. There's not one person in here who has ever had to work very hard for light. We flip a switch, it's on. We set a temperature box on our... uh, wall and that just automatically keeps things warm and cold when we need them to as a matter of fact i said something about a switch but actually when i get up in the morning i say hey google turn the lights on and my lights come on we don't understand what that means we go outside to to ride the city powers the streets with light you can't find darkness really anywhere around a city anymore because there's so much light that comes i remember when i lived in brookhaven mississippi where things are actually pretty dark you could actually see where Jackson sits and it would just kind of glow up in the sky 
Then you had a candle, a fire, of what you had to work to produce, and that was it. And you could imagine when you're going miles and miles by foot or by animal between city to city, there's no light anywhere, no signs anywhere. You have the moon, you have the stars. If it's cloudy, you don't have anything like that. Light was everything. You couldn't see. And Jesus was the light that was to shine direction because if you didn't have light, you're stumping around everywhere. You're hitting your toes. You're falling over things. You're breaking things. You can't do surgeries. You can't make people better. You can't help someone out without light. You have nothing. But Jesus came to be the light. And we are to be a light that is like a city on a, on a, on a hill that is shining for all to see. A light, and it was prophesied that he would be the light. So here's the credentials. He is God. He was there, always has been, always will be. He is life. Anything that I say in this book, that John writes in this book, is so that you know that you will believe and have life. And he will talk even later about life eternal, pointing back to the only other time that's said, which is in the book of Daniel that is prophesied about everlasting life. And he is the light, the only way. Like when you are walking out, which way are you going to choose? The way that's dark and you can't see anything or the way with light that gives you safety? It is that way in which you should go. So the credentials of Jesus have been laid out. And then we'll end with this verse. Because I love this truth. It brings comfort to my soul. The Word, right? And we hear that a lot. Who is the Word? It is Jesus. Became flesh. And He made His dwelling among us. He made His dwelling among us. He made His dwelling among us. A.K.A. Emmanuel. God is with us. We have seen His glory the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Number one, just a small talking about this here. He's saying we have seen. He is pointing to the eyewitnesses. He will talk about the eyewitnesses over and over and over again. What is the number one thing that wins a court case? It is eyewitnesses. And that's not always just human. That's cameras, right? That's evidence. Myself, Doug, can tell you there's nothing that can change the way of a court case when it comes to insurance and automobile and truck accidents than having a favorable dash cam. Now, that can also bite you in the uh, rear as well. But it is evidence that sways one thing or the other. And John's saying we have evidence, eyewitnesses. Can you imagine the stories that they are saying that affected an entire nation, an entire side of the world, that the word had gone through, that if they had passed these letters around, they never would have made it. People were like, I was there. That never happened. You know how hard it is to get five thousand, it's hard to get three people to corroborate on one thing, but to get uh, uh, multiple authors to corroborate on 5,000 people being able to be fed, how many people could stand up and say, uh, no, I was there. I was hungry. I don't know what you're talking about, leftover baskets. 
the eyewitnesses and the power that that gives. But let's go back to this. He made his dwelling among us. Here's a great truth for all of us that we'll end on today. God has always dwelt with mankind. You know that? God has always been with us. Didn't have to be. Right? Let's set the stage here. God always was. It goes back into forever. Hard to explain that. Then he creates man. And he walks in the garden with man. Literally. So he's dwelling with man. Now that was the last time uh, that God himself, God the Father, is dwelling with man. And sin takes place. The fall happens in chapter 3 of Genesis. And it's like, you know what? We've ruined, we've ruined it. Uh, now we can't dwell with God. He's locked us out of the garden. He will dwell with us no more. But God and his love did what? He said, I want you to build a tabernacle, a.k.a. a tent, a.k.a. a dwelling place. And I will rest my glory, my Shekinah glory there. I will dwell with you there. You will dwell with me there. I will guide you by night, by fire. I will guide you by cloud in the day. Once again, God dwelling, sending angels, sending uh, people back and forth. God being and communing with mankind. And then we think, man, I guess that's what we're stuck with. And here comes Jesus, who is literally Emmanuel. God is with us. And so then Jesus, who is God, dwells with mankind. <clears throat> and then they sit on the mountain and in the beginning of, of Acts, and Jesus begins to go up and ascend into heaven. And we're like, man, sure had it made. God was here again dwelling with us. And uh, I guess we've ruined that until the second coming. We don't have God. And boom, Jesus goes up. Holy Spirit comes down. God is with us and dwelling in each one of us in all that we see, all that we feel. The Holy Spirit of God with us. So not one time throughout all of history has God not dwelt with mankind. Now, I don't like to go to people's houses that don't like me that mistreat me, that have done me wrong. I think that's a pretty natural response of the heart. Yet, God, who we have created offense after offense after offense against, continually says, I want to dwell with you. And notice, it continues to get more and more intimate that the Holy Spirit itself, that Scripture says in our, our hearts, in our soul, and our spirit, within, that God desires intimacy with his believers. It's a beautiful thing. And so when you're feeling down on yourself, when you are feeling ashamed, depressed, anxious, Remember this. God wants to dwell with you. God wants fellowship with you. But yet it is us so many times that shut the door. 
or limit him, right? No one would let a king come to their house and say, you come here, but you can't go here. A king can go wherever he wants. But yet so many times we look at God and say, you can have my church life. You can have this aspect, but <clears throat> my, my uh, purity life or my private life, this is, this is me. God, I don't want you over here. I haven't cleaned it up well, right? We all have that area in our house when people are coming over. Everything gets kind of dipped into, and we don't want them going there. We do that with God as if he can't see it, as if he doesn't know. But God wants to dwell with you. Boys, God wants to dwell with you in your life, in your heart. You know that? That God loves you so much. And as John himself will say, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever would what? Believe in him would not die but have everlasting life. That's a good God. That's the God that dwells with man that we're going to talk about for the next 21 chapters. The credentials have been set. The purpose has been set. Who he is has been set. His desire to be with mankind has been set. And we've set the stage for a beautiful story. Father, we thank you that you are a good God that wants to dwell with us. That you sent your son to dwell with man. Then you sent your spirit. We thank you that you did not leave us high and dry, but you left us with these love letters with your word so that when we read them, we could believe that our hearts would be set on these truths in Scripture and that we would have light and life in our life, that our deadness would be everlasting change. Father, I pray for each person in here that you would breathe life into their decision-making, their relationships, their spirit. You have not left us alone, but yet you dwell with us. We pray that you would bless our time in this book, God, that you would convict us where we need to be convicted, convicted and challenge us where we need to be challenged and that you would give us proper application for Knoxville Community Church, that we could make a difference and a change in this community. Help us to be faithful, to cry out for it every day, Father, on our knees before you saying, God, help use us. Use us, Father. Here I am, Lord. Send me. May our hearts stay close and clean, that we may be seen worthy to carry your cross, Father. We love you and we thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.